I am Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, part of the dynamic duo known as Julie and Lisa, who bring you our regular podcast. This is our speaker series edition where we borrow guests from the home group AA Solution Seekers online. Please enjoy. This morning, we are going to hear from a speaker sharing for 45 minutes on their experience, strength, and hope or what they like, what happened, and what they are like today as a result of the program of action found in the 12 steps of Alcoholic Anonymous. AA Solution Seekers would like to welcome Melanie. And um, I always love to hear Melanie share. She's very insightful and so optimistic. So Melanie, the floor is yours. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say this morning. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Casey. Thank you, everyone. Um, Welcome, welcome, welcome to all newcomers. Um, Congratulations to people celebrating. Um, This is, this is a, a miraculous program. I had no idea. I had no idea that such a powerful transformation could happen by putting down the drink in following instructions and listening and being uncomfortable and everything I'm going to talk about. I had no idea. Um, and thank you so much for everyone who continues to do service on a regular basis. It's, um, you know, our, our, our symbol, the, the circle with the triangle, it three, three legacies. We have recovery. That's the step work. We have service and unity is the fellowship and the service. If we don't have service, we're not going to have meetings. If I don't have meetings, I'm not going to have fellowship. And then I'm going to be alone. And that always ends in a bad, bad, bad way. So I don't even know where to begin. I have never spoken for 45 minutes. This is a first. And, um, you know, I am a real alcoholic. I mean, not, that's even like silly to say. I am, I'm a gigantic alcoholic. And so I have, I have herbal tea. I have coffee and I have water and I just, I just like drinking. I like drinking. And, um, it was really always that way, right from the get go. I, um, let me start. So my, my sobriety date is July 14th, 2006. It was supposed to be July 4th. And clearly I went out on a bender July 3rd and I woke up July 4th. I could not recognize the the reflection in the mirror. I looked like an alien. I, um, it was terrifying. And this of course was not the first time I was terrified by my image. Looking back at me, I crawled, I crawled down the stairs into the kitchen and opened the fridge and got a beer. I, it, there was no way I could get to a meeting and get a white chip on July 4th. So for the next 10 days, I had a big party for one and self-pity galore, wallowing in my misery as I was saying goodbye to my best friend. Um, And then July 14th, I had cleared up enough and I was able to get a white chip. 
that was not my first run at recovery. I had, um, I had tried before that, but anyway, I'm going to slow down and try to put this in a linear fashion. So I grew up in a very small, small town in Connecticut. It was pretty much a traditional family, mom, dad, two kids, a dog. Um, my parents partied. They, you know, I grew up in the seventies and there were parties, cocktail parties, and there was a lot of laughter and there was a lot of fighting. And, um, my older sister, five years older, she liked to party too. And so, and I really just adored her. She was like, she was my idol. She was like my hero. And she gave me cigarettes when I was really little. Um, she got me high for the first time. Oh my God, I had such a bad coughing attack. And then I just started like laughing. And and I don't really remember my first drink. It was probably with her. It was probably with her. But I was in like fifth, sixth grade when I first started experimenting with substances. And I just wanted to be cool. I wanted, I wanted people to think I was cool. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be liked. And this was the beginning of my people-pleasing tendencies and seeking other people's approval. I wanted my sister to like me. And my sister was... Um, she suffered. She suffered with depression and she was bullied. And so sometimes she would, you know, beat me up because the chain of pain. Right. And it was really confusing, um, as a, as a little kid, but anyway, I've done a lot of healing work. My sister ended up dying by suicide and I, I wasn't expecting to get emotional this morning. Um, but it happens. Sometimes it just comes up and I'm okay with that today. I stuffed feelings for, oh golly, uh, decades, decades, decades. And so I never, I never was able, I didn't have the privilege of doing the healing and the recovery and the grief work because I was numb to it. And that was my goal. I wanted to be numb. I did not want to feel, I thought my feelings could kill me. So with every ounce of um, power that I had or every ounce of intention, my goal, my number one primary purpose was to numb out, to avoid, to run, to disappear, um, really not to feel. And so after my sister died, I hit drugs and alcohol, like with a vengeance. I had been experimenting for a couple of years prior to that. And it was so much fun. And so this is what I did not know. I learned this in recovery. I used to blame my sister's death on the reason I was an alcoholic. I used to blame the suicide. I used to blame the heartache, why I drank. That was my justification, right? That acronym JADE, I became a professional justifier. I would argue my cause, argue my case. I would defend it. I would excuse it and explain it. I was always justifying why 
why I was always in a blackout and could not follow through and broke promises and wasn't reliable. And so it took me many years to realize, oh, no, 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 you're not, that's not why you're an alcoholic. Yes, it impacted your life. Yes, you, you hit the, the chemicals hard. But the reason is I am bodily and mentally different. I knew nothing before I came to AA. I knew nothing about the disease of alcoholism. I thought people who partied were cool. I wanted to be, I wanted to be tough. I really wanted to be the tough kid. I wanted, I, I drank Jack Daniels, smoked Marlboro Reds, loved just, I had this crazy tolerance. I didn't know about a physical manifestation of the body that this phenomenon of craving occurs. I didn't know that. I, I couldn't figure out why I, I didn't have a stop switch. Why did I want more when my friends would be good and they would go to bed? Um, a mental obsession of the mind. This was such a relief to learn because I thought I was insane. And that's, you know, step two talks about insanity. And then of course the spiritual malady. And I have come to define this for me, for me, it's a, it's disconnection. Spirituality for me is connection and love, love, belonging, connection. Spiritual malady is disconnection, isolation, fear, loneliness, tortured by loneliness. I didn't know I had any of those three illnesses or three parts of alcoholism. So I, coming back to as a teenager, I hit it hard. And I ran hard for years. I was a professional runner. And that's not meaning an athlete. That's meaning an emotional runner. Once I started getting close to people. Okay, so let me pause. High school was great. Fun, fun, fun. College, great. Fun, fun, fun. However, I always felt different. I always felt different. And and then the progression of the disease, I started having fun with problems. And this was, you know, the arrests, hurting people, um, not being able to follow through, not being able to show up. Like I said in the beginning, the shame, the deep, deep shame, incomprehensible demoralization, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. The shame, I would wake up with such shame People taught me that if you have a drink in the morning, you don't have a hangover. So I loved the morning drink and I learned this in high school. So I was really, I was pretty pickled in high school. I think I was uh, a full-blown alcoholic in high school. And that was a badge of honor in a way. I was proud of that. That's kind of that delusion. I thought because I wanted to be cool, I thought this was, you know, I was tough. I was, I was a boozer, a boozer and a loser. <laughs> So depression for me started increasing. I didn't know booze was a depressant. I didn't know I was pouring a depressant into a system that was experiencing depression. And I went to a therapist in my mid to late 20s. And she said, I think you have a problem with alcohol. And so I stopped 
what did I stop? I stopped therapy. Wasn't able to hear that and ran, 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 ran. And I, um, I said, I was a professional runner. I moved a lot. I would have my, my relationships would last typically three to four months. And then I would get so terrified. Oh my God, these people, these people are going to figure out who I really am because I became the actress, the actor. And this is out of the literature, you know, to the world presenting bubbly, fun, easygoing, and internally just, just a wreck internally. I remember my, my neighbor's mom said, Oh, Melanie, you're such a free spirit. And, and I just couldn't even say anything because it wasn't true. I felt so trapped. I felt I was trapped inside of a bottle. Spirits trapped me. I wanted to be a free spirit, but the booze trapped me. My world became very small at the end. And I would, I would, I would do geographical cures and I would, I would go East coast to West coast. I spent about a decade on the West coast and, um, always seeking, seeking, seeking relief somewhere outside of myself. So fast forward, I ended up in Maine and the alcoholism it was just getting worse. I was starting to get paranoid. I was afraid to take out the trash. I didn't, I was afraid to see neighbors. Um, I had chronic bloody noses and health problems were happening. Like my body was shutting down and I would go to work and it was painful. I would put on that smiley, happy face and pretend I was good and I was hurting like physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. It was really agonizing to go to work and pretend to be okay. And I remember sitting at a, a meeting once in work and it was uh, a team meeting. And I just, I, I felt like I was going to fall off the chair. I was so dizzy and hungover. And I remember looking around and just thinking, these people are normal. Why can't I be normal? And then I learned, hey, normal is a setting on a washing machine. And I didn't know how sick I was. I wasn't bad. I wasn't a bad person trying to get good. I was a sick person trying to get well. I have an illness and I have a daily reprieve. So in my late 30s, I went back to therapy and I was able to go to an IOP an intensive outpatient in Maine. And I stayed sober for three months. The 90 day mark scared me um, because I knew at 90 days I would have to speak. And I was really terrified of people. I did not, I just felt so insecure. I am an egomaniac with an inferiority complex and booze kind of leveled that out. It kind of balanced me out. And so Getting up at a podium to me seemed like getting up there naked, just complete exposure. I was terrified. And so, and it was also summer. I had a job where I had summers off and um, summer was rolling around. It was Memorial Day weekend. And my friend invited me down to a party and I was, you know, that torture in my head. I was thinking I, I had, I was living in two worlds. Part of me wanted to drink. Part of me wanted to stay sober. 
And the tennis match became, you know, too much. The tug of war was too much. I was just obsessed with the drink, thinking about it. I couldn't stop this thought. And so I just picked up to get, you know, I can't do this. I picked up and those are the bottoms that I hit that I will never forget. Those bottoms are the ugliest for the next 18 months, the most pain. And I did crawl back to Alcoholics Anonymous in 2006. And I, like I said, I could not, I had zero energy. I was a shell of a person. We hear this all the time, a hole in my soul. And I shuffled in, shuffled. I couldn't pick up my feet. I'd been poisoning myself for decades. I had no energy. My eyes were so red and yellow. I had some jaundice happening. Skin all broken out, bloated. I can't even recognize that person right now when I think about it. And people approached me and I remember their eyes were white and shining and I was terrified of them, but they were like giving me numbers and bringing me over to the newcomer table and laughing. It was the laughter. I was desperate to laugh. I was desperate to be a part of, I had been a part from booze separated me and the laughter got me. I was desperate to laugh and I wanted that program of attraction, not promotion. That's initially what drew me because I hadn't laughed in so long. I couldn't remember. Well, artificial laughter, right? With, with chemicals, with substances. And I got a sponsor, this gregarious woman, really super bubbly. And she would parade me around and introduce me to people. And I was terrified and pissed. And I was like, internally, I just was like, I felt like a little kid and she was my mom and she was introducing me to her friends. And I, I was, it was so awkward and I hated every second of it, but I started to like pretend, okay. Like I would take, when I had to like enter a room and say hello to people, I would be like, okay, what would she do? How would she, how would she act? And that gave me a little bit of courage and energy to pretend. And so the expression, fake it till you make it. Um, and that was helpful for me in the beginning, fake it till you make it. Cause I, I had no social skills. My, my emotional growth was stunted all my growth, all my maturation. My, I was really immature because the booze stops maturation. I was a 13-year-old emotionally and chronologically, I was an adult. Emotionally, I was an adolescent and spiritually, I was a newborn. Maybe I was even in utero when I got sober because my greatest resentment was against God. I didn't know anything about spirituality compared to religion. And people started saying, you get to create your own conception of a higher power. And someone said, use gift of desperation. And I was desperate. That one was my first one. And that my my concept of spirituality has grown and evolved and changed. And it's my greatest gift today. 
my greatest gift. I went to a beginner's meeting last night in Maine where I got sober and there were six celebrants. They celebrate the last Saturday of every month. And I had the privilege of giving us fancy a six-year medallion and the love, the joy, the belonging, the hope, the hope people shared one, the, the shortest amount of recovery last night was a half a day. Somebody had drank that morning and was coming in to get a white chip. There was a person with one day, a person with two days. And the person who had the most sobriety was celebrating 35 years. There was like 88 years of recovery um, together with the celebrants last night. It was a natural high. I left that meeting feeling high, an altered state of consciousness. When I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I didn't think that was possible. That I could, that energy, that connection could release dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin, all those really beautiful chemicals. We have a natural pharmacy in our brains, right? So my sponsor said, you know, we're getting, we're getting into the steps right now. She bought me my first big book and she gave me homework. She said, this is what I would like you to do every day. Call me at this time. We're going to read the daily reading. We, there's questions at the bottom. I'd like you to reflect on the questions. We're going to discuss the questions. I would like you to call two other people in recovery. I would like you to start reading chapter one, et cetera. And we met, we spoke every single morning. We shared what was going on. And she started bringing me through the steps. Step one, became, uh, admitted, admitted that I am powerless over alcohol, that my life had become unmanageable. I didn't know what these words meant. I didn't know what unmanageability meant. I thought I was managing my life. I had a job. I went to work, even though it was a struggle every day. I paid rent. I, my, I managed my life. No, internal management, internal unmanageability. I, I Internally, I was a mess. I was a wreck. I was lying to everybody. I was pretending. I was lying to myself. I couldn't be honest with myself by myself. I didn't know about the threefold disease. I didn't know about the, the physical craving, all that stuff. I, I have choice if I don't use. The second I use, all choice is gone. That's powerlessness. The second I ingest any chemical, Power, power's gone. Choice is gone. Number two came to believe this is a, this is still a process for me. And through prayer and meditation and listening and connecting to others and being in the woods, being with animals came to believe it's a process. It's a process for me that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I didn't know I was insane. I didn't know the depths of insanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God as we understood God, as we understand God. I had issue with G-O-D when I came in. I've worked through that. I've worked through that. God is love. God, my God works through people. It's that simple. I don't believe in a guy in the sky. I don't. 
God works through people. Coincidence, God's way of being anonymous. How do these people show up? How do, how do, how, how do you explain a coincidence? You can't. And that's probably the great mystery. Great mystery. That's, I'm thinking about God like that today. Great mystery. Creator of the universe. My friend calls her higher power Gus. Great universal spirit. Her best friend Gus, her pal, her pal Gus. How do you build a relationship with somebody? You spend time. You spend time with that person. Great universal spirit, the wonders, the brilliance of, of, there's so much I don't know. I'll never know. I'll never, ever, ever truly know. But I know I can feel higher power. I know I can feel energy. I can feel love. I can feel goodness. Step four, made a thorough, uh uh-oh and something inventory, honest, thorough and honest inventory, moral inventory. I was not afraid of step four because I knew everything I had done. And I I had been journaling. I wasn't afraid to put it on paper. I was afraid somebody might find it. Uh, Step five was really where the transformation happened for me because I, 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 another person was involved. God works through people. So my sponsor What a dear heart. She's so, so, so precious and, and compassionate and kind. And just, you know, said me too, dear, me too. And it was the first time I felt I could trust somebody in quite some time. I knew I could trust my mom. I knew I could trust my best friends, but sort of a person outside of that scope of my inner circle, I didn't have to pretend And I caught myself exaggerating in my step five process. I I heard myself exaggerating and I had to stop and pause. And I said, you know what? That's not really accurate. Can I do it? Can I read? Can I start that one again? She's like, yes. And the commonalities we shared, the things she shared with me, you can't make that stuff up. The universe chose her. We, our paths crossed for a particular specific reason. You can, I cannot even explain how similar our stories were. Step six, I need to, I need to grab the old, how it works. Chapter five, how it works. Cause I don't want to misquote our steps. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. I call them defenses of character. That might be prettying it up, but for me, I have I have defenses, uh, defense mechanisms that happened to survive in this world where it was pretty painful and lying. Essentially, people pleasing is basic lying. I I never could tell people how I truly felt or what was truly happening, and I wanted people's approval. I was, I was so afraid to be rejected to me. Rejection meant death and seven humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Humbly was not a word in my vocabulary. Gratitude was not a word in my vocabulary. I actually have had a very tough week. Um, I'm a little sick and I, uh, I, I, uh, I fell off the beam emotionally and wasn't kind to somebody an important person in my life and that selfishness, self-centeredness reared its ugly head. And I hurt somebody I love. I hurt their feelings. And, um, I had a big dose 
a big dose of the opposite of humility. I had some, I was humiliated this week. So humility is a constant area of improvement for me, for me. And Dr. Bob had a plaque on his desk. It said perpetual quietness of heart. My heart was not quiet this week. My heart was very, very, very sad, very broken this week. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed, became willing to make amends to them. When I first was sober, I wasn't willing to make amends to all of the people I had harmed. Today I am. Today I am. I've worked hard to see my part. Step eight is making a list. Step nine is making direct amends except when to do so would injure them or others. This is why we need sponsors, mentors, guides. I can't figure this out by myself. If I think I got it figured out, usually like first thought wrong, I have to run it by a sponsor or an AA friend and, and say, what do you think? And lots of times they say, well, have you prayed about it? And lots of times the answer is no, it's me in my head trying to figure it out. I can't figure this out. I got to let it go. I got to turn it over. I need help. Step 10, continue to take personal inventory when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. This is a process I was taught and it's one of my favorite processes in recovery, a step 10 inventory. At night when we retire, we we reflect where were we selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, afraid, selfish. What do I want? So whatever I want, what's the behavior behind that? What do I want? Selfish, self-centered, self-seeking. This is my behavior. How do I act? How do I behave trying to get what I want? And sometimes it's, you know, pouting. Sometimes it's withdrawing love. Sometimes it's um, not being considerate of other people's feelings. Dishonest, what's the lie I tell myself? The lie I tell myself, my ego will lie to me. My ego is not my amigo, right? Everything I say, by the way, is plagiarized. Everything I say, I've heard. I don't think I've had many original thoughts. My ego is not my amigo. I think that's so funny. Ego edging God out. What's the lie I tell myself? Uh, my needs are more important than theirs. That's a lie. Oh my gosh. That's not other-centered. That's not God-centered. That's self-centered. And remember, selfishness, self-centeredness that we think is the root of our problems, the basic cause of all misery. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Weren't we really trying to appear? Like, what's my motive? I've learned to check my motive. And the last one for step 10 inventory is fear. What am I afraid? Hang on the question. There's a question and it's, it's not coming to me right now. If God were on board, what would be different? And if God were on board, I would definitely be kinder and more loving and tolerant. Love and tolerance is our code. Step 11, one of my favorites sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact, conscious contact. What is conscious contact? Well, I was unconscious for years going through motions. And so conscious contact, again, it's 
this morning, my prayers were simple because I can complicate a glass of water. I have said this before, glass of water. Well, do I want ice water? Do I want plain water? Do I want a little lemon? What kind of glass do I want? Do I want, wait, do I want water out of the fridge, out of the tap? Um, do I, you know, like seriously, I can overcomplicate anything, the most simple, the simplest things. And so this morning prayer, I meditated on make me a channel of thy peace. Use me to help others. Use me to help others. Use me to help others. I'm hoping something I say today can help somebody else. I was such a taker before. I just wanted me, 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 right? The alcoholic opera. I'll go ahead and sing for you. Me, 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 me. Alcoholic opera. Today, I really try to think about other people. Other-centered. God-centered, other-centered. I've had some profound spiritual experiences through through prayer and, and meditation really beautiful moments. And it's available anytime I do the work. I can be lazy and that's where I'm undisciplined. I wake up in the morning. My first thought is coffee really before anything else. I chug coffee in the morning. I do. I love coffee. I used to wake up and drink vodka. I used to chug vodka. Today I drink coffee, delicious coffee. So I get busy. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening, as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. So our primary purpose is to stay sober and help others. Service. Primary purpose is to stay sober and help others. When I heard that, I had the greatest relief because I was seeking, like, what am I supposed to be doing? And I was tortured by really the, the, the mental obsession. What is my purpose? I wanted purpose. Today, it's so simple. I stay sober. I do not consider. I don't consider it. I don't consider it. It's, it's like the recoiling from a hot stove. I know for me, it's going to end in death, jail, or institution. And it's not going to be pretty. So Today, I have the ability to think, how can I help somebody else? What can I do to distract myself from, my, from myself? Principles over personalities. Helping other people. How can I help others? And this is not always easy, but it's the solution because God works through people. So when I'm God-centered, when I'm other-centered, that is my primary purpose, help other people. There's so much. I didn't write anything down this morning. I um, I was like, what am I going to talk about? And all these funny things came up and I wanted to say them all. And then I realized this morning in my reflection, don't write anything down. Try to be honest. Try to be real. And like I said, this week has been really tough for me. And it's okay. It's okay. A drink is not going to make anything better. It's the problem will still be there. And then I'll have 4,000, 40,000, 4 million other problems. So 
Let me just say a quick prayer. Make me a channel of thy peace. Please keep coming. Please. I can't. We can. This is a we program. I can't. I tried for decades to figure it out. I tried. I could not do it alone. Other people are required. For me, that was my experience. I wanted to do it alone. I tried to do it alone. Nothing worked for me until I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had contempt prior to investigation. I had a lot of judgment. I had a lot of judgment, really. And that that's a block to wholeness. I didn't know all my resentments, all my anger. All the anger was blocking me from wholeness. I can't selectively numb the pain. If I numb the pain, I numb the joy. I numb the love. I, lo I numb the, the possibility to connect. We get better. We, we strengthen our spiritual muscles. We, we grow up emotionally. Home group. Home group, right? The acronym group. It doesn't work perfect, but grow up. This is where I learned to be accountable, to be responsible, to show up, to grow up. I became, I took jobs in early recovery and I was the greeter. I was the coffee maker. I, all the jobs that you could have, I went through all of them and that I didn't want to disappoint people because again, at that point I was very much focused on what other people thought of me. So I was, I showed up, it got me to meetings. It was really helpful in the beginning to get a job. And like last night, I wish you all could have transported to this meeting last night, the energy, the love, the joy, and, and there was a lot of sadness shared from the podium. People, how are people using the solution of Alcoholics Anonymous? to get through some of the most brutal experiences, brutal, brutal, heart-wrenching losses people shared about last night. And there's tears and there's laughter. It's the full spectrum of this human existence. I learned we're not human. We're not humans having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. So spirituality, it's my favorite topic. I could, I could probably talk 45 minutes about spirituality, but remember it's threefold. So we have recovery, the steps, service. What can I do today to help others? What am I doing in my home group to help that group run? And unity, sponsorship, sponsors, sober person offering newcomer suggestion on recovery. I needed a guide. Even the greatest mountain climber needs a guide. I needed a mentor, a guide. And you all teach me every single day how to be a better person, how to be more honest, how to be more insightful, more action, more action, gratitude in action, service in action, love in action. There's no, my sponsor says, no, there's no chapter that says into thinking. This is a program of action, into action. So it's really simple. It's not easy. It's a simple program. It's like following a recipe. If I want to make a delicious recipe, 
I'm, I don't read instructions. So for me, it was, you know, uh, I'm going to do, I loved certain steps. And I was like, I love step three, seven, and 11. And I kind of skipped over, well, I kind of skipped over six. And um, I've been getting back into six and seven and a lot of learning is happening. A lot of insight, a lot of growth, character defects, shortcomings. And because I'm a human, I will never be perfect. This is progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. I feel like I'm running out of things to say. I just want to really encourage everyone to get phone numbers. I am going to, um, my phone number is in the group list. Let me say it that way. If anyone ever wanted to reach out, please, please reach out. We are here. You don't have to do this alone. So much love, appreciation, respect to you all. Please keep coming. And I think that is where I am going to wrap it up. Thank you, everyone. And that was another fantastic speaker from AA Solution Seekers online group. Thank you so much for joining us as we continue to bring you great speaker, one after another, from Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Lisa. Thanks for joining us.